You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. fellowship with him he saved me saved me so he and i could have a relationship together this is gravy this is something that he's given to me this is something that he has chosen me for but my job is to minister to him i can't minister to you unless i'm ministering to him and allowing him to fill me and show me because the things that i teach you the things that i read i have to go through first so it's my job as your pastor to seek him first Have you ever wondered why God would sacrifice His only Son for you? You might think it's because God loves you, and that's right. But in today's message, Pastor Dave will remind you that God didn't save you so you could work in the ministry. God saved you so that He could have a relationship with you. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2 as he continues his message, God's Judgment Falls. Verse 25, it says, If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. And the child Samuel grew in stature and favor both with the Lord and men. So again, you see the contrast that's happening here. But notice that this passage is not focused as much on Eli's sons as it is on Eli himself. First of all, he was old and no condition to to take the kind of leadership that Israel needed at that time. He was the high priest. He knew everything that his sons did. He heard about their evil acts, but he didn't do anything about it. He didn't do anything about it. Many godly people complained and told Eli about their actions of his sons. They were not only showing disrespect for the sacrifices on the altar... But they also had no regard for the women who served in the tabernacle. Instead of encouraging them to walk with the Lord, they seduced them. You know, when you're in ministry, you have a higher judgment based upon you. You are required much. And unfortunately, there's nothing new under the sun, folks. Because this kind of stuff continues to happen where people in ministry use their power or their authority to do bad things, to disregard the Lord's commands, to disregard his law. Billy Graham had a great great comment a long time ago. He said, two things ruin a ministry, women and money. And we see that. We see that. He didn't mean that women ruin ministry. He mean ministers messing with women ruin ministry. Here we see that he's the high priest. Eli's the high priest. His sons are practicing to be priests. They're practicing. They're going to be high priests when Eli passes away because that's how it worked then. They moved up into the high priesthood. Happens way too often. Ministers of the gospel 
good, strong ministers, powerful preachers falling because of sexual immorality. You see that happening. There isn't anything new under the sun. It's sad. We've had it happen in Calvary Chapel. We've seen it happen in Calvary Chapel. People who, there was a man who I used to listen to and go to see when I went to conferences. One of the greatest teachers I could recall. Here he was having affair after an affair after an affair after an affair. He had a church of some 30,000 people. It happens. It's, it's sad. It's very sad. But even though the people spoke to Eli about the conduct of his sons, nothing happened. He didn't change because he wasn't a godly father. He didn't direct his kids the way he was supposed to be as a spiritual leader of the house. Plus, his sons disregarded his warnings if they were, as if they were challenging God. As if they were challenging God. See, God has an order. There's order in God's house. There's order in man's house. God first, then the man, then the woman. The man is supposed to be the spiritual leader of the household. That's the way it is supposed to work. And when the man doesn't take his rightful place as spiritual leader of the household, things happen. The woman takes the place, which is not her place to take, but she takes it. Some of them do well, some of them don't, don't do well. But the house tends to fall apart because it's not God's way, God's order. These aren't my rules. Look at the book. Read the book. These are God's ways. There's order in the household. There's order. There's order in the church. And when these things don't happen, things break down. Things fall apart. And this is what's happening here. The father did not take his spiritual leadership role. Look at David's sin with Bathsheba. After David sinned with Bathsheba, he lost all influence and authority with his own sons. Hophni and Phinehas, who were Eli's sons, had absolutely no respect for the Lord. Number one, they didn't know him, so how can they have respect for him that he didn't know him? But they were the high priests, and they didn't even have respect for their father. Scripture says, you make the Lord's people transgress. Again, we see, this is a great sin of Eli. It was bad enough that they stole and indulged their own lust, but they also corrupted behavior. They made people hate to worship God. They were taking people away from God. And this is a bigger sin than anything. Drawing people away from God. Don't give the Gentiles reason to blaspheme God, David said. Don't give them reason. You make the Lord's people transgress. Great sin of Eli. Eli asked an interesting question in verse 23, or actually it was in... um, uh, verse 25, if no one, if one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Interesting question. If one man sins against another, God will sin, but will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede? Well, first of all, all sin is against God. All sin is against God. But when we sin against man, God can judge us for our sin against man. But all the differences between man may be settled by a proper judge. But if anybody sins against the supreme judge, God himself, what's being said is, who's going to intercede for him? Who's going to intercede for them? That's what, that's what Eli is saying. Now remember, you've got to remember the context. This is Old Testament. This is the law of Moses. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
or 1 John 2, 1, they answer the Eli's questions. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Praise God. That's New Testament. <laughs> now we have New Testament. Praise the Lord. Jesus came and we have an advocate with the Father. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's only one mediator. The daysman has come. We now have that mediator. There is someone to go between us, praise God. There's someone to intercede for us when we do sin. All sin is against the Lord. You have the Ten Commandments. The first uh, four deal with your relationship with God. The, the second six deal with your relationship with man. So if you break one of the second six, you're sinning against man and God. If you break the, first, the one to four, you're sinning against God. So all sin is against God. What did David say after he committed adultery? In Psalm 51, against you and you, O Lord, alone have I sinned. All sin is against God. But praise God, we have a mediator. Praise God for Jesus Christ. Oh, my. And we can come to him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He does it. Nor should I say he did it on the cross. It was taken care of when he put himself on that wood and tree and hung there and died in our stead and bled and died. Took every sin that we would ever have, that you would ever have, that the world would ever have upon itself. He paid the price, the ultimate price. Praise God, we have an advocate. Wow. Verse 25 says, the bottom says, nevertheless, that's never good when you see nevertheless in the Bible. You know there's something that's always bad going to come after it. Nevertheless. It's like when you see but God, you always go, yeah, and you get excited. When you see nevertheless, you go, uh-oh. Watch out. Nevertheless, they did not, they is the two sons, did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. What? This statement seems kind of unfair. They didn't heed because the Lord decided to kill them. And they picture Eli's sons wanting to repent, wanting to heed to the voice of their father, but God preventing them. This is not the case at all. This is not what's happening here. Repentance is a gift from God. And if God chooses not to grant the gift, then people are not going to repent. They're not going to want to repent. God judged Eli's sons this way. God gave them exactly what they wanted. He turned them over to their retrobate mind. He gave them exactly what they wanted. They did not want to repent, and God did not work repentance in their heart. They did not know the Lord, and it seemed that they didn't want to know the Lord. They wanted what they wanted, and what they could get through their own position of authority, which, again, is a dangerous place to be. Anytime you use your position of authority to get illicit things, it's very, very dangerous. But what about the words, the Lord desired to kill them? You know, there's some tough passages in the Bible. The Lord desired to kill them. God saw that they were corrupt men and wanted to judge them. All God did what was right and was just. God's justice is right. It's righteous. He's a righteous God. When the Lord desired to kill them, it simply means that God desired justice towards them. He wanted to do justice. What are the wages of sin? Read the Levitical law. Remember, this is under the law of Moses. If you read the Levitical law, almost every result of the every result of the Levitical law is death. God was just following His own law. God was judging righteously, and He was judging justly. They forced God's hand. 
They put him in a corner and now he acts accordingly. God's judgment is always true and it's always right. And as we come to the rest of the chapter, we see God's judgment then is declared. Let's move on. We'll read from 27 through the rest of the chapter. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, did I, not, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, and to wear the ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all of the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me, to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people? Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said, indeed, that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now, the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me will be, shall be lightly esteemed. Behold... The days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place despite all the good which God does for Israel. And there shall not be an old man in the house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons, on, uh, on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to all that is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread saying, please put me in one of the priestly positions that I might eat a piece of bread. So judgment has come. Judgment has come. The man of God appears. This man of God appears and pronounces God's judgment to Eli. Not only does it fall on the sons, but it falls on Eli as well. The title man of God is used some 70 times in the Old Testament. And it usually refers to a prophet sent by God. This is not an epiphany or a theophany of Jesus Christ. This is not that. The man of God deals with the past in verses 27 and 28 and the present in 29. We don't know who this man was. This is one of God's anonymous characters in the Bible. It doesn't matter who he is. He's a man of God. And God has raised him up to speak to Eli and Eli's whole family at this time. He says, I did not reveal myself to the house of your father. Who's he referring to? Aaron. Aaron, remember, the priestly line was to come through Aaron. Priestly line was to come through Aaron. You couldn't be a high priest unless you were a descendant of Aaron. That's who this man is talking about. I revealed myself to your father, Aaron. He's referring to him who was the high priest. And since the high priesthood is a hereditary office, that's why the sons of Phineas and Hophni, those two boys, were getting ready to be high priests by hereditary. God reveals himself to Aaron. And in, in 1 Samuel 2.28, a wonderful summary of the duties of the priesthood in Israel. To be my priest, it says, first and foremost, the job of the high priest was to minister to the Lord. He saved me to fellowship with him. He saved me, saved me so he and I could have a relationship together. 
This is gravy. This is something that he's given to me. This is something that he has chosen me for. But my job is to minister to him. I can't minister to you unless I'm ministering to him and allowing him to fill me and show me. Because the things that I teach you or the things that I read, I have to go through first. So it's my job as your pastor to seek him first. And this is why there are elders and deacons in the church. For the building up the body for the work of the ministry. The pastor is supposed to spend time in the Word of God, reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God, getting close to God, drawing close to God, and finding out what God wants, the direction he wants to take to church. You can find that in Acts 6. In Acts 6, when the disciples were too busy waiting tables, helping out the Hellenic widows, there was a ruckus going on because people say, well, they're getting more than these people. And they said, it's not good for us to wait tables and leave the word of God. So go out and find six men, and we'll let them be the table waiters. And they'll become deacons. And Stephen was one of them, and Philip was one of them. Men full of the Holy Spirit. Men full of wisdom. See, that's the beginning of the church. It's not that we don't do these jobs. It's not that I can't do those kind of things, and I do those kind of things. But really, the main job of the priest, the main job of the pastor, is to get with God. It's to get with God for leadership of the church and to find out which way God wants to take the church. That's the main job. So you see this here. So you see, we're set up the way it's supposed to be set up. This is what God wants for them. He says, to offer upon my altar. The priest was supposed to bring forth sacrifices for atonement and worship. The altar was the place where the atoning blood was both shed and applied, the blood that would cleanse from sin. The altar was also the place where the sacrifice of praise was bought. But remember one thing about the sacrifice. You go back to question number one. The priest's first and foremost job was to minister to God. If the priest chose to do the sacrifice without ministering to God first, guess what? He was in a heap of trouble. Because if he went into the Holy of Holies without having taken care of his sin first, he didn't come out of the Holy of Holies. God killed him. That's why they used to tie a rope around his leg if he went in there, because nobody else could go in the Holy of Holies except the high priest. And if the high priest fell down, they would pull him out with the rope. Also, they had little bells on the bottom of his, of his robe so they could hear him walking around in there. So they knew if he was doing something wrong, he died. He had to take care of his sin first. See, we minister to the Lord first, and then we minister the sacrifices, he says. They burn incense. The burning of incense was always a picture of prayer. Prayer, going up to God in a sweet-smelling aroma. Prayer, the incense going up to God. That's a picture of prayer. The smoke would ascend to heavens. The priest would lead the nation in prayer, and the priest would pray for the nation. So you see, a lot of the things that we do are taken right from here, except I don't have an ephod. An ephod was what they wore. It was the clothing that they wore. It was specifically meant for glory and beauty. You can find that in Exodus 28. And the priest was supposed to represent majesty. He was supposed to represent dignity, glory, and the beauty of God to the people. And I think this is one of the reasons why you see a lot of the priests have these big robes and stuff like that. And the offerings, the priest was also charged with the responsibility to receive the offerings of God's people and to make good use of them. Okay. So a lot of those things happen. The man of God said, speaking for God, why do you kick against my sacrifice? It would have been easier for Eli to say, it wasn't me, it was my kids. It would have been really easy for Eli to say, well, I, I, I've been following you, Lord, but those guys, what am I going to do with them? No. But Eli had a double accountability. 
He had accountability. He had as a father. He didn't diminish because his sons were adults. But he had accountability as high priest also. And he wasn't living up to what he was supposed to be doing. His sons worked for him as priests. And Eli was a bad boss. If you're a pastor and you have people who work for you, by meaning working, I mean in ministry, if they are involved in illicit things or if they're involved in sin like that and you allow them to continue in those things and continue to serve in the Lord, the Lord's not going to deal with them. He's going to deal with the pastor. He's going to deal with the pastor and say, hey, you're allowing this to happen. You're in charge, pal. Let's talk about this. Yeah, it gets a little bit more convoluted than you really think when you think about it, you know, because, you know, I have to answer to God for the whole shebang here, okay? So I have to get before him and say, okay, Lord, this is happening, you know, right? And, and when things are shown to me, I have to act and deal with them, and sometimes it's not pleasant, and sometimes it's hurtful for me and, and the person that I have to deal with. And believe me, it's not pleasant all around. But if I don't do that, i got to go to the woodshed. I don't like going to the woodshed. Been there too many times. Which paddle do you want me to get this time, Lord? Not the big one. Come on. He always chooses the big one. So we have to act. So we have to do that because we have a, we have, see, we have to learn from what we read in the book. You see, God doesn't change. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He doesn't change. And His church doesn't really change. This is the model of what we do, you know? And sometimes it seems harsh and people go, well, you know, where's the grace? Well, there is grace in this. There is a lot of grace in it. And we're all about restoration. It's all about restoration. God wants to restore Israel. He wants to restore Israel back to himself. But he's got people standing in the way, so they have to be removed so God can restore them. Okay? But this is Old Testament times, so things get a little harsh. Things get a little bit difficult. He says, you honor your sons more than me. Ouch. You honor your sons more than me. Ouch. I'm thinking of a line that Jesus says. Unless a man hate his mother and father, he cannot have no part of me. Ow! What do you mean i got to hate my mom and dad? I love my mom and dad. That's not what he's saying. He said, nothing comes before me, God said. Nothing comes before me. Nothing. He says, you, you honor your sons more than me. And since Eli would not correct his sons the way he should, either as a father or as a head over them, he was essentially putting them before the Lord. If he would have been more afraid of offending God and less afraid of offending his sons, he would have corrected them. See, this is the problem. So I would rather answer to God. I want to answer to God and be clear with God in what we do here at Calvary Chapel. It's no fun in that woodshed. No fun. Because he says, I'll cut off your arm. Now, this is not a literal picture, but it's, what he's doing is he's going to cut off the picture of strength and might in Hebrew thinking. You can find that in Psalm 10, 15, Psalm 77, 15, and Psalm 89, 10. You are We're so glad you joined Pastor Dave Shank today for A Sure Hope. This study in 1 Samuel has been taking you further into God's process of fulfilling promises 
and it may not look like you'd always want it to. God gave a promise to David when he was young and unequipped to handle the magnitude of what was to come. God still gave him a glimpse to the future though, and we walked with David to help him grow and learn. God's plan included trials along with victories, but he was faithful to David throughout. Right now in our country, we are facing a trial never before experienced. Don't fear, God is as faithful to you now as he was to David. He will bring you through, and you can lean on Him for strength and comfort in the waiting. We'd encourage you to read ahead in 1 Samuel and discover for yourself how God works life out, and let Him encourage you through it. How can we be praying for you during this 1 Samuel study and during this unusual time in history? Please give us a call and let us know at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We are pleased to be able to bring you teachings from God's Word on each edition of Assure Hope. If you'd like to hear more from this series in the book of 1 Samuel, visit assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download, and we encourage you to share them with friends and family. That's all we have time for. Thanks for tuning in to Assure Hope.